0: What does a normal disciple look like? This week on LifeHouse Weekly Sermon Podcast, David Thomas investigates this very question. In our multi-denominational world of today, it's very, very easy to get many different opinions as to what a normal disciple looks like. David Thomas unwraps these twisted knots and shows us exactly what a true disciple is, looks like, and does. Now, as always, head on over to www.life. House.net to find more LifeHouse resources, drop us a line, or leave us feedback in the iTunes window. Thanks very much for listening. Here's David. I tell you, when I do these series, sermon series, it gets to a point where I have a massive problem. I have to cut material, and the more I cut material, I don't know, it just it, it just grows more. And so... The message today is a message where we're midway, in the me- we're midway in the series, but the midway point is blown out, so it's going to be two. I've got to preach, uh, uh, and, and, and as much as I'm trying to cut material out of this message, I've got to preach two sermons on this. So, to, The title of today's message is this, what is a normal disciple? Okay? What, 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 what's a normal disciple? Think about it. I, I, I shared this picture with uh, the men's group up at Warwick when we took the speaking team up at, up to Warwick. I think it was beginning of this year or beginning of last year. And there we spoke about what it means to be a man of God. And I said to these men, I said, I want you to picture standing next to me is this um, holographic picture of the perfect disciple. And wherever you run your hand over, a little pop-up comes out and explains. So so if you ran your finger over where the eyes were, out would come an explanation. Well, this is the eyes of of this man of God. This is the mouth of this man of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And so, so what I want you to understand today is I've got next to me a picture of what is a disciple um, that's good news for you because at least now you will know without a shadow of a doubt that you can reach these points measure yourself against them and attain them the, neg- the negative thing about that is the only time you will actually ever reach the full measure of that is when you die so if you take that measure and you, and, you, and you start beating yourself up about it and you start saying to yourself, well, I'm not going to live up to it, that's right, because it's a measure. And so today, before I actually begin my, my, my talk about what it means, I'm going to give you a framework, a frame of reference to work from. We started with finding the discipleship environment. We looked at what discipleship was, and now we're going to look at what a disciple is, can a disciple be measured? Can I come and bring a measuring tape that's called the disciple measuring tape, put it against your life, and measure you, and give you a mark? Is that possible? Is that spiritual? Is that biblical? Or is that religious? Right, we, by, the end of that, by the end of this, you'll know. I ended off last week's message with these questions for you to go and think about. And I'm going to pepper these questions throughout this message. Who is responsible in your life for the environment you find yourself in? Who is responsible in your life for the journey that you take? You become a baby Christian, you grow to be a novice Christian, and you grow to be a mature Christian. You get born again, you become a recruit, and you become a veteran. Who is responsible for that transition in your life? And how much personal responsibility do you take for the state of your discipleship? So if you take that list and that picture and you mark yourself against it, who is responsible for the mark that you get? Just put that in your mind now. Okay, the question I want to answer this week is this what does a normal disciple look like? Two scriptures to give you a frame of reference, and then we'll start looking at a couple of points and go into this list. first scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.11. Okay? What you are will be recognized. Just let that settle in your, your, your mind for a minute. What you are will be recognized by God. It'll be recognized by the person next to you. And if you put the belt of truth on yourself, it's going to be recognized by yourself. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. I'm going to read out of the NIV and the Amplified Version. We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try and persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. What was happening here in Paul's life at that point in time was there was a lot of super, super apostles coming into the church in Corinth and starting to spread a whole lot of rumors and all that kind of stuff. And so he writes to the church people in Corinth and he says, what we are is plain to God. What sort of person we are is plainly recognized and thoroughly understood by God. And I hope that is plainly recognized and thoroughly understood also by your conscience, your inborn discernment. That's the first frame of reference for today's message. What you are, God knows. The second frame of reference is this test yourself to see that you have not failed. See that list that I'm going to give you, that picture that I'm going to give you? You need to know what that is. You need to learn what that is. That needs to be at the back of your mind, in your subconscious. It needs to be ingrained in your very core of your being. And on a regular basis, you need to bring that list out and you need to test yourself according to that list to see that you have not failed. 2 Corinthians 13, 5-6 Paul writes to the church there and he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Wow. Now, in the Amplified version, it gets a little bit more frightening. Examine, test, evaluate your own self, to see whether you are holding to, the, to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Okay? That's incredible. Your faith. What questions have I been asking you all the way through from last week to this week? Who is responsible? Paul goes on and he says, Do you not yourselves realize and know thoroughly by ever increasing experience that Christ Jesus is inside of you unless you are counterfeits? Disapproved, on trial, and rejected. So today I want to look at what does it mean to actually be a disciple. And believe it or not, this is an encouraging message. Even though I'm going to put a list up there that you're going to not reach. There's three things I want to share with you. I will probably only get through two and a half. First one is this. What is the no excuse zone that I've started to talk about? The second one is this. Do you have the ability to break through? And the third point, which I'll probably only begin to answer next week, is what moves us up in the discipleship stakes? What moves us from being a baby Christian to being a novice and from being a novice to being mature? What is it? What is it? that is there, that moves us up. Okay, number one, the no-excuse zone. Listen to this carefully. Any, anything that moves you in spiritual growth from where you are towards Jesus Christ is the no-excuse zone. That's my, that's my definition. Any teaching... Anywhere you go, any book, anything that you read, the Bible especially, if, if, if it moves you from where you are now to Jesus, that's the no excuse zone. For example, the empowerment environment is a no excuse zone. Because in the empowerment environment, you are able to become a disciple. And discipleship by its very nature is change. It's aggressive change. It's moving you from where you are towards reflecting who your teacher is. It's the life and death zone. I shared this with you last week. You smell. You smell like Jesus. Do you have the capacity to carry that responsibility where you walk into a room and you start interacting with people and when you walk out of that people, those people in that room will walk out with eternal life reflected in them or eternal death reflected in them. Do you have the weight to carry that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 The life and death zone is the no excuse zone. In this scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, you will see that there's a catalyst that creates a no-excuse zone, which creates the reaction. So, Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that they may be built up, so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach the unity in faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So here we've got this picture of the disciple. What is a normal disciple? And here we've got this no-excuse zone. And Christ sends into the no-excuse zone a catalyst that activates his people to walk towards this picture. Why is that? Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forward by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So anytime some little teaching comes up and just blows our way and we have a whiff of it, we won't, we're not going to just get tossed to and fro and get all hectic and, 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 and run around like crazy people. We'll just be able to take the teaching and assess it. Why? Because we are attaining and understand the full knowledge and measure of Christ. And by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings, when these people come in and try to cause disruption, we're not going to be tossed to and fro. We're just going to keep a steady pace. Why? Because we are being matured. The catalyst is Jesus releasing his fivefold. The no excuse zone is the church, flawed but authentic, and the result is discipleship making. Here are a couple of questions. If you want to take these questions down later on, you can download the podcast of iTunes and, and, and just go through these questions and sit and meditate on these questions because these questions will help you position yourself in knowing where you are in relation to this disciple that I'm going to be talking to you about. Here's the first question. Is this happening in your life right now scripture out of Corinthians that I've just read are you constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another I read that scripture last week now you might not be able to discern minute by minute if you're growing you might not be able to discern week by week if you're growing but if you can't discern and test yourself and examine yourself, if you haven't grown within this last year to become closer to this image or this picture of normalcy in the Bible, something's wrong. So is this happening in your life right now? Second question, are you being equipped in a fivefold environment? Because a fivefold environment is the ministry, the complete ministry of Jesus being released into and a no excuse zone environment to equip you for what God has placed inside of you for you to do for Him. Are you being trained up? Are you being built up so that the body of Christ may be built up, the Bible says? Here are a brace of questions for you. With regards to verse 13 of that Ephesians chapter 4. Are you walking in unity? Are you unified in faith with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you one in the knowledge of the Son of God? Do you consider yourself becoming mature? Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature. I was thinking about this question this morning as I was preparing Or sometime, either last night or this morning, and I just thought to myself, how many years does it actually take us as Christians to become mature? Have you thought of that? How many years? I mean, you get born again into the kingdom of God, you get saved, Jesus becomes your Lord, now you go on a training process, and you become a novice, and then from the novice you you get trained further, and you become Mature Christian. How long does that take? Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you have the ability to discern? No longer tossed about but like infants. Do you have the ability to discern... Teachings that are a little bit wrong? Do you have the ability to discern a religious person? Craftiness, deceitful schemings. Are you able to come to a teacher of false doctrines or a deceiver and actually teach them in love? Instead, speaking the truth in love. You see, this is the product of the no excuse zone. If you find yourself in an environment where you are not under pressure, I'm talking spiritually now, to grow. If you find yourself in an environment where you you are not uncomfortable about your lack of discipleship production, being a disciple and producing a disciple, then you are in a... Zone that has excuses. You see, a disciple and a discipleship zone has one mission, one command. Go then, that's the mission. One command, that intimate relationship between you and God that reflects itself out into amongst amongst your neighbours, the command. And there is in the no excuse zone. You need to be able to understand the relationship between you and Christ with regards to your mission and command. Jesus says, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. I was, I was thinking about this actually this morning and I was thinking it's like a, it's like a circle. To be a disciple, you have to love Jesus. To love Jesus, you have to do what he commands you to do. If you, command, if you do what he commands you to do, you are his friend. If you're his friend, you love him. And it's, it's just, I was like, I'm trying to work my way around. Try and think about it. This is like John 15. Like that was John 14. The person who has my commands keeps them and is the one who really loves me. In John 15, he goes on and talks about the vine, I am the vine. I'm the vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Verse 9. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. How do I know that I love Jesus? Can I measure my love for Jesus? Because I've never physically met him. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remained in his love. Whoa. That's pretty significant. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There, another thing gets added to discipleship. How does this love look? Greater love has no no man than this, that he lay down one's life for one's friends. Don't only interpret that verse of Scripture as the big ultimate price of dying for someone. But interpret that scripture of laying down minutes for people, hours for people, days for people. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants, Jesus says. There are no excuse zone churches out there and there are no excuse zone disciples out there. So coming back to my original set of questions that I asked at the end of my sermon last week, who is responsible for your life and the environment you find yourself in? Who is responsible in your life for the journey from being a baby Christian to being a mature Christian? And how much responsibility do you personally take? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, thus by their fruits you will recognize them. And then he goes on and says something very frightening. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles. Now we can sit and think this kind of, Message or this kind of scripture, we can bypass it in our minds because the implications of this scripture are so frightful. Test, examine that you are not that you do not fail. Test your fruit. Test your faith. Everywhere in the Bible, the Lord continually tells us, examine yourself, judge yourself so that you will not be judged. And so we come to the no excuse zone, and we look at this normal disciple, and we ask ourselves the question, how do I become like that? I'll give you you a simple example. I'll give you a simple test. Am I living like Jesus? I don't know how he lived. Well, go and read Matthew this week. Am I doing what Jesus is doing? Am I doing what Jesus is asking me to do? Well, go and read what he asks you to do in Mark and Luke and John. Spend some time looking at Jesus, listening to what he says in his word about you. I cannot break it down any simpler than that. The no excuse zone is a zone of movement. If you come into the no excuse zone, you will move towards Jesus or else you're just going to get popped out. Number two, I'm going to start looking at what this person looks like. Disciple A. What have you ever thought about this question? What constitutes a normal disciple's life? How does how does this normal disciple live? What does it actually look like? What is it that moves a person from here, a baby Christian born again, to achieving that? Why why is it that you get 10 people in a church and, say, 8 out of 10 of them sort of just get stuck in one situation and two of them just start to push forward towards discipleship? What is it in those two that gives them the ability to break through? Do they have, is, is it just given to them or, 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 or do they have it within side of them or what is it? Have you ever thought about that? What is it? Before I give you my, I've got two lists here. But before I give you my two lists, I want you to just picture this. Oftentimes, the physical, the physical realm is a, is a reflection of what takes place in the spiritual realm. Okay, So you've got principles in operation in the physical world, the universe, this physical universe outside of us, around us. And oftentimes, things in there, how they happen and the progression of how they happen gives you a picture of what happens in the spiritual realm. So when a physical baby gets born okay you don't come and ask the question when you're holding this baby i wonder if this baby is going to grow you don't you, you don't actually ask that question you, you don't ask the question how is this baby going to grow so here you've got someone getting born again into the kingdom we, get, we, we, we just sort of muddle things up a little bit because the question you ask when you're holding the baby is this. Is there anything that's going to prevent this child from growing? Because growth is natural. The lack of growth is unnatural. Do you see what I'm saying? If this child doesn't grow, what's the first thing you're going to do? Get to the doctor. Why is this child not growing? Okay. Why is this child not growing? There's this program that I've got taped. I haven't watched it yet. I've just watched the beginning section, and um, Carolyn, Anna, Callan have seen the beginning section, and, and Stacy has seen the beginning section. It's from National Geographic. It's called like people's diff- funny people's taboos. Think you know? Oh, it's it's. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch. I'm going to force myself to watch it one of these days. But oh, it gives me the creeps. There's this grown man. He's a grown man. And he literally spends most of his day dressed up like a baby. He's got nappies. He's got a big crib. You know, he gets fed. You see him being fed, things like that. No, I'm, 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 it just, it creeps me out, you know, and like, it, it's like, I want to watch, but I don't, you know, <laughs> you know, when you get to that stage where it's like, so gross and creepy outer, you know, but you can't stop watching, and that's why I haven't taken it off, because I have to watch it, but I don't want to watch it, because it's going to creep me out. why then do we have christians who have been born again and chronologically they age in the church but spiritually they babies so you don't ask yourself the question for these for these for these people why Are you not growing? Because growth within a growth environment, growth within a no-excuse environment, growth in an empowerment environment is natural. So you start asking yourself the question, why are they not growing? What is the problem? What moves someone from here to becoming a disciple? What motivates someone from here to becoming a disciple? So here's five quick things on what a normal Christian life looks like. One, abundant. John 10.10. 10. Two, conquering. Romans 8.37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Three, victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Four, triumphant, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. And five, holy, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Be holy because I am holy. Five things, general categories, that's normalcy. That's the normal life of a disciple. That's the normal life in the no-excuse zone. Abundant life, conquering life, victorious life, triumphant life, holy life. And if you are in a no-excuse environment, you will naturally progress from baby, novice to mature, attaining to these five points. These five points will start to be reflected in your life, and you can begin to measure them, you can begin to examine them, and you can begin to test them. So here's my second checklist. And I'll probably break this checklist in half and do the next part next week. Now what I've gone and done is... I've taken the measure of an elder and deacon that you find in Titus and you find in Timothy, and I've put it down here. And these are the checklists that are on this disciple. And so if you look at him and you go in and you, 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 you examine him and you're having a look, and down at the bottom, there's a little screen, a little touch screen. And on this touch screen, you're going to find four categories that you can measure yourself by spiritual qualifications character qualifications domestic qualifications and ministerial qualifications and so you can measure yourself towards these things you can take this and measure yourself and say am I reaching this measure if not what do I do So let's look at the spiritual qualifications first. To become a disciple, you have to be born again. Now you might think that's simplistic. But oftentimes I find that the gospel message presented to the world is so full of fluff and bubbles that no clear decision gets given to the person to get born again. Are you born again? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you been born from above? John 3, 1 to 5. Secondly, are you obedient to the first command? Be baptized. Because if you are not obedient right at the onset here, in a change environment... You're going to have problems later on as you get more and more, and the Lord calls you to more and more obedience. Thirdly, are you baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you come to the Holy Spirit and said to the Holy Spirit, Lord, fill me completely and change me according to your will? Remember, that's the first command of a disciple. I give you the right. How can you disciple others when you don't get continually filled and refreshed by the Spirit every day? You know, you can be a member of a church, you can be a member of a denomination, but you cannot be a member of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, until these minimum spiritual qualifications have been met. And then finally you will reach a stage where you will say, Lord... Here am I. Use me. And you will start listening to the call of God into your life with regards to who you should be, what you should be, and where you should be ministering. So if you gauge that over there and you look at his spirit, you click it on spiritual qualifications, basically those ones are going to come up. Effectively, for most of them, there's sort of no degrees in between. You either have done it or you've not done it. You've either accepted him or you haven't. You've either been baptized or you haven't. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or you haven't. You've, you've listened to the call of the Lord or you haven't. Pretty clear. Now we get into the area where it gets a little bit more murky. And this is the area there where, where, where a, lot of, a lot of pruning takes place. So we, 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 we become baby Christians, we, we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, He comes into our heart, and now we say, Lord, yes, use me, and the Lord says, Right, come along, I now have to get the civilian out of you to put the soldier in and to call forth the soldier and the warrior that I placed in you. And these are called the character qualifications. So you move the little marker off the spirit man and you put him into, into the heart, into the soul of the man, and you start looking at his character some of these character qualifications might seem a little bit negative. But if you actually sit down and think about it, think about it for a second. I would rather be with a person who does not do some of these things than a person who does. And you'll be able to measure it like this. Let me give you a few of them here. Blameless. Okay? Okay? A deacon, oh, not a deacon. This is the list I'm going through in my mind. A disciple needs to be blameless. Integrity, all right? A person of integrity. A person that, is, that has no reproach against them. There's no fault within that person. You can't come along and censure that person in any way, shape, or form. On the flip side of this, you just got to remember that a disciple carries life and death. So the people that are smelling death of this disciple are not going to be happy people. They are going to accuse him. They are going to censure him or her. They are going to attack the disciple. If you think you need an example, look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Look at the disciples. They were attacked. Verbally, physically, you name it, they were attacked. But they were people who were blameless. Unquestionable integrity. Irreproachable. Good behavior is another one. People that are modest. You know, disciplined respectable, have, have a respectable lifestyle, honorable, dignified. I was thinking about this this morning when I was going over this message, and I was thinking, you know, if, if I've, I've watched a few TV programs, I've watched a few movie programs, and there's always when you've got a group of people together, there's one in the crowd that will always just do something on the spur of the moment. And it's normally something bad, and then, and then everyone's like, oh, that's terrible, you know? And then they all run along and do that terrible thing. And and, and in the movies, they get away with it, and it's big fun, and it's like. But in real life, that doesn't happen. And so I like to be around people that are of good behavior. I like to reflect that. Vigilant. A disciple is a vigilant person. Okay? He's wide awake, he's watchful, he's not careless, he's not indifferent, he's not lethargic. He's vigilant with regards to himself. Think of, think of a, a, the, the biblical um, watchman. He's vigilant about his life, he's vigilant about himself, and he's vigilant about people around him. Temperate. This is one of these old 1950s words, you know. And the, the and, and, and the picture generated by temperance and being temperate has been ridiculed a lot, so I'm reclaiming it today. I like to be around a temperate person and I like to consider and and and, 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 and head myself towards being a temperate person. In other words, self controlled, disciplined. I have a handle on my passions, all right? I control my passions. I've got a few passions out there that I just, I I would wish I didn't have them, but I have. I've got them. Self-controlled over appetites, affections, you know? Being sort of not in extremes, I like to be with that kind of a person. And that's one of the characteristics of a normal disciple. You know, a person that operates completely in moderation. Uh, Sober. Another one. Sensible. It's a sensible person. I want to be next to a sensible person. I want to be around a sensible person. I want to become a sensible person. Discreet. Having a sound mind. Having the mind of Christ in operation. You know, not just... Lighting off irrationally every second. Using sound judgments. Just. A person who is righteous. I like to be next to a righteous person. I I like to stand next to an upright person. Conscientious. I like to be next to a person that I know is impartial. I like to be next to a person that will stand on the principle of God's word in all things as opposed to someone that's going to preference one or the other because if I'm next to that kind of a person I know that if I'm wrong he's going to call me on it if I'm right he's going to back me on it. A just person a holy person now, I'm going to reclaim this word here as well, and I believe this word has really been reclaimed in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And holiness is not this separating myself from the world and, 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 and putting little smells and bells around me and getting myself all like, uh, all like humming and these, these you know, religious chants and, 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 you know. Holiness is separating myself to the work of God. Okay? Holiness is finding out what pleases God and doing it. Now, if I can get next to a person who does that, I'm safe there. That person is safe. Because God's word is absolute in what that person is going to do and what that person is going to say and how that person is going to operate. And so that person becomes very predictable to me. I like that. Holy. That's a holy person. That's a person I know that separates themselves to God and puts God first in all things. A person that is a lover of good. Lover of good things. Lover of good people, truth, righteousness. Not things that are questionable you know, like all the little creepy things that creep in there, and oh, he's a little bit naughty. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not interested in that. I want a good person, an honorable person, hospitable, someone that is hospitable to people. Patient is another one, you know, patient, That'll, that is able to endure hard times and stand through difficult times while maintaining their discipleship I like that come to a negative page alright here's a lot of negative ones a disciple is not a brawler alright not someone that is contentious quarrelsome he's a peacemaker someone that doesn't strive have you been around a person that's always striving always argumentative I don't like to be around a brawler. A disciple is not someone that is quick to anger. I've had to work on that one. I still do. I've still got like little button points. And it just like, <laughs> it just blossoms out. One of them is when someone comes behind me too close in my car. Oh, I've worked on that for years. But anyway, I'm working on that. But someone that's not prone to lose their temper, not quick-tempered, I didn't want to use this one word here because I know I'm going to be laughed at by Kellen and Stacy because they've, they've found something about me that is just like, oh, the word is cranky. <laughs> when I'm watching TV and not two of them are there watching TV with me, I get cranky. They are exaggerating, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, how would you like it? You're watching TV and then Kellen's typing on his computer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right, eh? yeah. (laughs) Not a striker, okay. Uh, Not a violent person. Not a combative person. Uh, Not greedy or filthy lucre. I love that word. I love that real King James of filthy (laughs) lucre. Okay, it's more mentality. All right, A disciple doesn't have the mentality of being a hired hand. Think about that. A disciple has the mentality of being a bond slave. Go and do that word study in the Bible and look at the difference. Bond slavery, hired hand. A disciple doesn't have, I don't like being around a person that's got a Judas spirit, an Ananias and Sapphira spirit, a Simony spirit, and an Achan spirit. Joshua 7. Not covetous. You know, someone that is ruled by unhealthy desires. You know, we are in this church, we're encouraging you to, to, to as men to live from your heart and, and 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 look at these desires from God that are good and follow them and, and encourage you to live from that. But there are also unnatural, unhealthy desires that lead to idolatry. Not self-willed. Someone given over to their own will. I want someone, I want to stand next to someone and I want to ascribe myself. I want to get to that point where, 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 where I can say, Lord, as it is in heaven, let it be in my life. And every day I pray, Lord, let your will be done in my life as it is done in heaven. And when God speaks in heaven, it's yay and amen. And so when you speak into my life, let it be me saying yes, amen, it will be. I'm going to finish off now. I'm going to continue this list next week. I'll finish this list next week. I'm halfway through the characteristics. We then go to domestic, and then we're going to go into um, uh, very briefly on ministerial. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to give you the answer of what is it that moves a person from there to becoming the disciple? I'll answer that question. See if you can answer it beforehand. All right. This is what I want you to do this week. I want you to put yourself in a no-excuse zone. I want you to begin practicing your excuses. All right? I'm giving you permission to practice your excuses. But here's the twist. I want you to practice your excuses... Because one day, you will give those excuses to Jesus. And I want you to see if your excuses can measure up to his scrutiny. All right? That's, that's your test today, okay? So th- this is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to do it. All right? There's three things you're going to do it in. One of three areas. If, if you've got something in your life that, is, that shouldn't be there, a hidden sin, now, we, describe, we, we, we spoke about that at um, the foundation course on Thursday. And the Lord has been speaking to you about that and dealing with you about that. I want you to go and write out your excuse. Just write it out. I'm not dealing with this hidden sin because... And give your excuse there. Write out your excuse. The second area... Why have you not made a disciple? Now this is an our point. This is an our point. Most Christians that I know have never made a disciple. They've done, they've gone in forays. You know, they've had little tests. So I want you to write this this down. I have not made a disciple because, and give you an excuse. Your third area that you need to test yourself in is this. Now, obviously, you guys and everyone in podcast land listening to this is you—you—you—you're you, not doing this, obviously, but here it is anyway. Why are you not fulfilling your ministry in the kingdom of God? All right. Why are you not living to your full potential? If you're a five-talenter, why are you not producing five talents? If you're a two-talenter, why are you not producing your two talents? And if you're a two-talenter and you're producing one talent, why is the other talent buried? Go write your excuse down. Okay, now once you've got all your excuses down, go into your prayer closet and close your eyes and think about this. There in front of you is Jesus in his glory. And if you can't picture Jesus in his glory, open the book of Revelation and read the first couple of chapters of Revelation and you will see what Jesus looks like. Okay? In all his glory. Then you can go and get the scripture I read to you last week. I can't think of exactly where it is. It's in 1 Corinthians somewhere about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And there you will see, just picture yourself, the whole church, everyone, all the angels, and Jesus standing before you. And you standing there alone. I don't think you're going to have a pulpit like this. I think the best you can have is a little mic like that. Just a little stand, mic mark, mark stand. You know, And it's going to be there. And, 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 and it's going to be in front of your face. And next to you over here is going to be this big altar with this fire burning. And there's a table next to the altar where you are going to come and place your treasure and your excuses. And there's this huge angel just standing there next to you, waiting to put the stuff on the fire. Okay? So you got this in your head. There's Jesus in front of you. There's this mic. And then Jesus is going to say, okay, my son, my daughter, I called you to be an apostle in the kingdom of God. I gave you five talents. You did this, da 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 da, da, da. Speak. And then you, you, you speak. And the angel next to you just booming voice. Step up to the mic, please. <laughs> and you step up to the mic and it gives us almighty feedback. <laughs> so everyone's definitely paying attention to you now. Now you read your excuse to the Lord. Look, look, I'm helping you here. I'm giving you some practice. All right, there's some good practice there. How does your excuse measure up? You are my friends if you do what I command, Jesus says. Who is responsible in your life for the environment that you are in? Who is responsible for the journey of your life? from babyhood to being a novice, from born again to baby to being mature? And how much personal responsibility are you going to take for what you present at that judgment? And hear me now. I'll write this in stone for you. You will appear there. I will appear there. So the question I want to answer this week, and I'm going to finish it off next week, is this. What does a normal disciple look like? You can go and get this list. You can go and listen to the sermon again. And you can write down these things. And you can go and measure yourself. Put a scale of 0 to 10. Am I setting myself apart to God? And scale yourself. Test yourself. Examine yourself. And here's your frame of reference. What you are is plain to him. Two Corinthians five eleven. Test your faith. Two Corinthians thirteen. Examine, test, evaluate. All right. My last statement is this: a disciple. You. A disciple is one of the most powerful change agents in the lives of people in this world. I'm going to tell you this now. Listen carefully to me. When you get to judgment and you see the impact and weight of your discipleship, you will realize the validity of that statement. Because it's then that you will see how powerful a change agent you are. Who cares about changing a society for 10 years or overthrowing a government for five years or helping a community to do some social justice work? Who cares about that? In the light of eternity, who cares? But it's when the person that you have impacted stands at that judgment seat and points up at you and says, Lord, that person has played a major part in helping me move from here to there to there. A disciple is one of the most powerful change agents in the lives of the people of this world. God bless you.